Thank you to our sponsors, Lead IQ, Costello, Sales Loft, WorkRamp, and DialPad for helping us produce this podcast. Head over to jbarrows.com slash blog for the highlights of this episode and explore resources you can use right away. Let's make it happen. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows with Make It Happen Mondays. Hopefully, you all had a fantastic weekend. So I am here with a very interesting guest, and she's actually all the way on the other side of the world for me right now, so I appreciate that. I uh, wanted to bring in, uh, this is a, the conversation we're going to have is about just-in-time learning, which is something I've been very fixated on for the past couple of years, and, and I'm really interested in this conversation. So Shruti, uh, the CEO over at Wingman, you want to say hello to everybody? Hi, everyone. Glad to be here on Make It Happen Mondays. Yeah, and thanks for joining us. Um, so, Shruti, talk, first of all, talk to us, talk to us about wh- what, what is Wingman, and then I want to kind of get to your journey of, of how you got to starting Wingman, because I know you started, uh, you know, like most people in sales or in, in general, we don't start in sales, we start in some other profession, and, and you come from uh, an analyst background over at Morgan Stanley, so I, I do want to dig into that, your journey a little bit of, of being a founder here of this business, but, but talk to us a little bit about what, what is Wingman, first of all. Sure. So Wingman is meant as a wingman for salespeople on sales calls. Um, So the idea really is that can you provide just-in-time feedback and coaching to salespeople during their call? Uh, And of course, there are some intricacies to what type of coaching, what type of feedback, and how do you do it without uh, distracting the sales reps? Uh, And the other part of it is also helping them take notes in real time without having uh, them type out stuff or, you know, scribble on a notepad. I love it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm again very interested in 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 where this world is right now because I I, I fundamentally believe in just in time learning. I genuinely believe uh, that we are going to move into a world where a sales rep is basically sitting there with all this technology and really is just the last mile before the conversation with the client and then in the conversation being coached. But I want to see where we are on that journey. But I do want to take a step back before we get there and talk to me about your journey. Uh, to becoming uh, this, the co-founder and CEO of Wingman, and and walk us through kind of your background. I mean, again, you started. Is it, did you start as an analyst at Morgan Stanley? And the, and what you and what you go to school for? Yeah, so I actually went to school uh, for biotechnology, and okay. then spent a year doing research on migration patterns of dengue, uh, which <laughs> okay. you know, interestingly, now with the coronavirus going on, you know. It's, it's pretty interesting because that was one of the things that I studied. How do viruses migrate? But that's oh, wow. a long time back. Um, so wait, wait, then, before, before, before you go, are you freaking out? Like, cause they're, I mean, people are freaking out about this virus. So with what you know about this, like, are you sitting there going, holy shit, we're in trouble? Or do you think this is going to be contained in some way? I'm just kind of more curious on my end. Um, you know, it, it's kind of hard to answer that question today. I was in the middle of the SARS epidemic in mm. Singapore at the time when it broke out. And uh, what I realize is that there are some places that are better equipped to handle these things, mm. um, right? And I think that there are some places that where it gets to, it might really just be a complete disaster. Yep. Uh, so I think it'll really depend on how much importance people give to handling it right. And that's, that's probably what's going to determine the outcome for that particular geography. Oof. All right. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, it's scary. I mean, it's starting to hit here in the States too. I think the first case was somebody came back in Chicago, their, their spouse or whatever from an infected area. So we'll see how, how well it's contained, but uh, let, let's talk about happier things. Uh, so, so you went as an, anal- uh, you started as a biotech analyzing trends and then you, then what, what happened when you graduated? <laughs> and then I realized I didn't want to spend time in a lab, just pipetting stuff and studying viruses. Uh, went out and got my MBA from uh, Indian Institute of Management and, uh, you know, went to do what was considered the most coveted job, uh, which was being an investment banker. Yeah. Um, so joined Morgan Stanley uh, for their APAC division and uh, very quickly realized that it was completely insane in terms of work-life balance. Mm. Uh, also realized that it wasn't something that I wanted to do for the long run. Um, so, but I continued to stay in finance, uh, and I continued to be very interested in technology coming from, you know, having spent four years doing tech stuff. Uh, and so my second, uh, thing landed up being investing in early stage technology with a fund called intellectual ventures. Uh, and what we were doing was we were investing in technology that was coming out of university research or by, you know, individual inventors sitting and tinkering in the lab. Uh, And then from there, uh, you know, uh, one step further went into a fintech startup, which was just setting up, uh, you know, their office in a new market and uh, very quickly realized that 
the most important job there was to figure out the go to market in that new market um and slowly that became sales hiring for sales sales training sales process setting uh, and all of that was completely new i had already spent 10 years doing all of these other things um and um so yeah so it was kind of you know coming as an outsider into sales and like you said nobody plans to get into sales uh, but they somehow get there <laughs> and that's so that's always that that journey's fascinating to me always because you know i i thankfully you know i i you know i got well thankfully i i kind of stumbled into sales and and but it was through the marketing angle and what's what's always interesting to me is is how people who don't come from like a marketing or a business or a sales background they come from more the the finance background or the technical background right they they have this idea that the product is like it like holy shit i just created this awesome thing or we just gave you a bunch of money the product's great go and this thing should be successful but in my experience the main reason and you're deeper in this than i am the main reason that most companies fail isn't because they don't have a good product isn't because the market's not there it's because they can't figure out how to sell it is that a a pretty accurate example you know uh, description of what you've seen through through your journey absolutely and it's not to say that you know the product isn't important of course but yeah. uh, i think in some sense it's becoming more and more democratized right so yeah. you can like you know if there's a great product today there're probably going to be 40 others tomorrow because yeah. it's just so much easier to copy and build products uh, right so that's not really the bottleneck figuring out whom to sell how to sell uh, why would somebody want to buy it uh, is difficult and the interesting thing is it's difficult because nobody can come up with a standard playbook that uh, you know kind of applies to everyone right um and yeah it's it's definitely a challenge i'm sure if somebody were to dig deeper and even look at the apple example which is kind of touted as just a great product it doesn't need to be sold yeah, uh, they would realize it. that there's a lot of intricacy in the sales and marketing there i mean i mean steve jobs goes down as one of the greatest presenters of all time you know what i mean like how he presented the vision um if it was just the product and it was just okay here you go but when he would stand up on stage and give those presentations the world was enamored by them to say holy smokes and and you know he was a sales professional you know i mean he he was a sales guy at the end of the day um even though he was a an engineer true and through and 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 everything like that he just knew how to connect with people and get the message out there about what that product was all about so and actually know. that brings me to another part of it right and that's something that I didn't realize until I became a founder was sales is not just about selling to your customers there's so much other sales that happens especially as a founder you need to sell the vision to your team you need to be selling it to the investors you need to be selling it to so many different stakeholders and each of those while it looks different uh, it is all a sale uh, right yeah. and you need to have that script you need to like you know if you were going out and raising funding you would be doing exactly the same thing that you would do if you were prospecting right you would need to yeah. make a list you would need to identify who's your target audience why would they want to invest in you and all of those uh, questions need to be answered as well yeah i just i mean i i obviously i'm biased right i i just think life is about sales like you you to your point you you sell yourself you sell your ideas you sell your come you know you sell that stuff so that skill to be able to do that is is critical so so let's talk about how to make sales reps better right um i mean i think over the years you know we've graduated from playbooks that sit on shelves and nobody looks at to you know maybe some coaching you know people now there's some coaching tools as far as like understanding what reps are doing and where their gaps are and that type of stuff and for for the past and i want to say and I, and you've talked to chris have you talked to chris my uh, my cro yeah i have yeah so chris and i have really over the like probably for 5 years now been locked in on this whole just in time learning right because i've i've always been a <clears throat> like from a training standpoint um when i took the training that i do now which is basho right it used to be 5 days and and what was beautiful what i liked about basho was that jeff hoffman who came up with it he took what was like a a month long program or this huge consulting engagement and boiled it down into some very execution oriented type stuff and there was five different programs five you know five different you know like prospecting uh qualification you know those type of you know, closing And then what I did though and and the reason I gravitated towards it is because it was so tactical. It was like, hey, here's how to send an email, send an email. Here's how to make a phone call, make a phone call. And so when I took the training, I then took what he had done and crunched it even further down into kind of micro 
like here's a tip here's a nugget that type of stuff and that's where i think the that the audience really appreciated because it's like ooh there's one very specific thing that i can do and i can do that today and so it's easy for me to do and and when i took this training you know, most of the time you really need, uh, most of the time training is an event, right? It's like you come in, you get all fired up. And then like a month later, it it's like it never happened. And without the managers really reinforcing it and coaching to it, it tends to fall off. The reason I gravitated towards this training was because even without management reinforcement, it stuck more than most because it was so tactical, okay? So with that, like, where are we right now? Because I think, I want to always take myself out of Silicon Valley, out of San Francisco, right? Because I think we're, that's a weird little ecosystem that is like, holy shit, look at all the innovation. But then you come one step out of that world and you're like, okay, we're back in 1985 when it comes to selling, right? <laughs> so, so where are we right now with coaching, with technology, with, with enablement, empowering sales reps from nothing, no tools, all the way to fully automation? Like, where do you think we are today? Um, and, and where do you think over the next two to three years we're going right now? Yeah, so that's, you know, that's definitely a great question because I think it's, it's still kind of hard for people to imagine technology taking over sales, right? And I don't think it's going to replace salespeople. And so what is the happy uh, intermediary state? Yeah. Uh, and I think that what's going to happen is, uh, you know, there are a few parallels, right? So one is how people adopted the just-in-time concept into manufacturing or how people adopted automation into aviation, uh, right? Okay. So if you look at how manufacturing thought about just-in-time, it was two things. And uh, one of that is how do you identify what is the bottleneck and then you try to improve that because that's where you're going to kind of see the maximum gain. And the other part of it was to think of how do you reduce inventory, right? And now if you were to apply the same things to sales, what you're saying is, how do I quickly identify what is uh, what is it that's causing my sales rep to lose that deal, uh, right? And the second thing that you want to identify do is to make sure that that inventory of information uh, or things that they need to remember is small, right? right? So to your example of training, right, you wanted to condense it so that it's no longer a month-long program, which mm -hmm. people forget about. Uh, what can you give them as a nugget that they will remember, right? right? And if you keep moving that, uh, forward, what you would want to be able to do is, hey, of course, I don't want to hire a goldfish for a salesperson who doesn't <laughs> <Right>. remember anything. <laughs> right. yeah. um, but I definitely don't want my sales reps to be, you know, going through those 25 Excel sheets, uh, you know, looking at, hey, this is the list of integrations. That is all of my complex pricing models because products have become so complex, uh, right? So it's not about saying that sales reps don't need to remember anything and they can be stupid, but it's about saying, how do I enable them so that they can still deliver the best value to the customer? Um, and I think in terms of the trend where it's going to go is therefore to make sure that information can find the rep rather than the rep finding the information. And I love that. And 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 I think that obviously that's what Wingman's all about because, uh, but but I'm curious like, how real is that, right? And 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 let's talk about because because there's beginning there there's before, during, and after. Okay, let's talk about a sales uh, a sales process, right? So before I make a phone call to a client, before I have a meeting with a client, there's all this great intel that that can tell me about. I you know I can even use Crystal Nose to understand your personality. Um, I can use Owler to understand all the news and events that are happening in your organization. I can use the social scraping tools to tell me. But now I need information. Now I know. Okay, what do I do with this? Right. And so that's 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 a little bit easier, I think, because it's like okay, it's it's not live. It's before the call, there's preparation. And then there's some tips that I can say, okay, use that information, say that. And then there's during where you and I are having this conversation. And as a sales rep, I'm hopefully picking up on cues. I'm hopefully picking up on that other stuff to make adjustments, but I might not be because of my tenure, my experience or whatever. But also then there's the questions that you're asking me that I need to get inf information on, right? Technical issues, like those type of things. And I, I really want to avoid these days getting to you know, being like, I don't know that answer. Let me get back to you. Right, so there's that middle part. And then there's the post, which is, okay, analyze the call, John. You did great job on the intro, but you know, when the pricing situation came up, man, you fell on your face. So so here's some content to 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 go address that. So I think the the before and after 
are, are more logical to me. I, I, I know there's tools out there that do this stuff. It can kind of analyze and say, yep, that was bad. Go look at this, learn. But it's the during that I think the most reps need the most help, but also is the, is the most challenging to help because in the conversation, I have so many different things going on inside my head about what I'm trying to accomplish with you during this call that if I get alerted or pushed something or whatever it is, there's a strong possibility I might throw up all over myself or be make it blatantly obvious that, you know, for instance, somebody's in my ear right now, you know, talking to me about what to say. And I'll be like, uh, uh, Shruti, hold on a second. My boss is telling me that I need to ask you this, you know, impact question. So, you know, so so how can we smooth that out so that a rep doesn't throw up? And and it, how much is, in your experience, is the learning curve to be able to leverage a tool like that? So it is a complex question. Um, <laughs> and let me ask you something. How long do you think was your last monologue? Uh, during this call? Uh, oh, ah, shit, probably less than a minute. Uh, right, but there's no way for you to know that during yeah. the call, all right? right? And if I ask you now, hey, what do you think has been a talk-to-listen ratio in this call? Uh, you can't answer that question either, mm-hmm. all right? And while people have been pounding on saying, hey, you know, this should be your ideal talk-to-listen ratio, when I go into a call, there is no way I'm going to be thinking about that, right. all right? I'm not acting on that. So irrespective of whatever people say, I'm still going to go ahead and fall into my comfortable pattern. Right. Um, and so what I want to do is distinguish between things which uh, you know are content and things which are behavior. All right. Uh, okay. um, and so part of it is you can do a bunch of be- very simple behavior interventions that can still be very fruitful and only need me to kind of, you know, quickly look at something and say, oh, yeah, I can pick that pick on that. Right. If I'm suddenly sounding too monotonous, if it tells me, hey, you know what, you've just been low on energy during this call, I can quickly change that and I don't have to get distracted or, you know, some variety of those yeah. type of things. So it's like that, that talk to listen ratio, there could be like a, there's like a, a threshold that says, ding, 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 John, shut up. Basically, you've been talking too long based on that. And it can, it can help me. Oh, yep. No, right, I need to shut up now. Okay. So what it already does is in real time, it'll show me a cue card if I go on a long monologue. Okay. Um, and so those are the type of simple things that don't, uh, you know, hopefully don't take up too much cognitive uh, load that I need to go back and, you know, just stop the conversation that I'm having naturally. Um, And then the second part of it is how do you encourage people to listen better beyond, uh, you know, beyond the talk to listen ratio or the monologue piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I've heard from a lot of salespeople is that, you know, often I'm very distracted when the other person is talking because either I'm trying to think what is the next question I need to ask them or I'm trying to take notes because I need to be able to follow up on that. All right. And so that's why we kind of build the note taking part. Uh, But the third piece that I think is generally hard and, you know, I don't think I have a perfect answer to it today, honestly, is what type of, uh, you know, content can you show them that will make sure that they don't get distracted and are still able to have a good conversation. Um, And I think that there are some easy answers to it. For example, one thing that people find hard to talk about is customer stories. Um, And the reason is that I don't want to throw an Amazon customer story at you if you are an entertainment company sitting in, you know, uh, Colorado. What you will instead want to do is you'll want to go back and tell me, hey, this is, you know, a few other companies that we've worked with and this is what happened. But nobody is going to be able to remember the entire set of customer stories based on, you know, geography, size of the customer, industry of the customer. Uh, right. So that's the kind of stuff where it can quickly come in and start showing you real results. Uh, and then, of course, there are simpler things which people know the answers to, but you probably want them to use a particular vernacular for. Uh, right. So to handle an objection or how do I want to ask for a demo? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Maybe something that we've realized in the call script works better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want it to be a quick reminder to say, hey, you know, use this exact five words. Um, and so the idea is not to have like a whole, uh, you know, essay show up. Right. Uh, the idea is to have like maybe a couple of bullet points show up and those trigger what you already learned in your training program or in your coaching. So it doesn't replace that. It augments it. I love it. So, so where do you think we are on that journey? Right. Cause my, my vision of sales reps in the future, um, is, and I don't know what I, 
I I thought we were way further down this path than than we are. Um, but my vision is is Iron Man. Right? I use, I always use that example of Iron Man. I used to think it was so. You know, Tony Stark. He's as a human being, right? He's got everything. He's rich. He's he's super smart. He's really good looking. Jerk, right? Whatever. Um, so he's got all the he's got all the tools as a person, right? But if he were to go out and try to fight all those aliens, he'd get killed, right? So he has to create the suit. Now the suit is great, but the suit doesn't work without Jarvis, right? So you got the you got the you got the AI, you got the technology, like the suit, and then you got the person, and those three together. Now you have Iron Iron Man, and you can go kick ass. So so my vision, and and you know we sent Morgan to um, uh, Gary Vita. I think it was about two years ago. He had this voice con uh, conference where it was all about voice and what it was doing. And 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 Morgan talked to a lot of like Amazon and a bunch of who are shipping thousands of these little right to to everybody so that they sit by their desk and they were even saying hey look uh in the future not even in the future right now people are at their desk and they're gonna come up and say all right alexa um you know i got a meeting coming up with uh what's my day look like today well john you have a podcast coming up with shruti and by the way uh, her background is blah 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 so you might want to ask her this and you have two co- you have two calls coming up with some really big customers so you might you know da da da, da. and then being like okay cool then they, all right well, let's call shruti right now and as you and i are having this conversation information questions are coming up for me to ask you and all that stuff so i we're here and we're I, we're right i think in the in the in the interest you know entry phase of this I guess on a scale of one to 10, as far as 10 being, I am Iron Man, I have uh, Jarvis here, which is, you know, screen, I can see everything, you don't even know, and it's so seamless, versus zero, like we're still back in the stone ages of sales of just, you know, I'm walking around with my briefcase here. Where do you think we are on that journey today? I would say we are on a seven. Yeah, You think we're that far? Yeah, and I think that the reason is that you know, so, so I've been thinking about a couple of technologies that have taken time and a couple of technologies that have got seen quicker adoption, um, right? So if you think about uh, something as simple as the internet, uh, right, which seems obvious today, it took a really long time to get adopted, yeah. uh, right? But if you think about the smartphone and if you think about the touch screen being an important part of it, right, that was around for a long time before, you know, the smartphones came around. Right. Um, and in some sense, for some of those things to evolve, the use cases needed to evolve as well, right? If I didn't have a real use case, the technology didn't move as fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we've seen in the voice space, and especially for voice in customer interactions, right, uh, is that the use case has always been pretty strong, all right? The technology has in some ways been lagging. Um, and so it's not going to be at a stage where, uh, you know, and, and I would say that the 10 is really having that right armor for the Iron Man, right? Uh, right? 10 is not uh, not having a man inside it, right? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and so what needs to now happen is over a period of time as the technology gets adopted more and more, it's going to improve more and more because it's going to get trained with the context of the people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably why we are at a 7 uh, mm-hmm. and not at a 10. Uh, but I, I definitely think that we are more than halfway there. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I just think that it's that that I think the the switch from seven to eight to nine is going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot to that switch, right? That that it's the, to your point, the adoption of it, the use cases, people getting comfortable with it. You know, because I'll, I'll go back to even like um, let's use like connect and sell. Okay, so connect and sell. I remember way back in the day. You know, it's the auto dialer, right? And, you know, and I've always been an old school sales rep where I'm picking up the phone. I don't need an auto dialer, but I get it. I understand the need for auto dialers because right now just connect rates are brutal. Right. So but I tried connected. So and this was and I haven't tried the product in five years. So I'm going to just say that up front. But when I tried it, I was like, all right, here we go. And I put the headset on and, and this thing just, you know, I could see the numbers going. And it, I was like, I, who, you know, I almost had a heart attack because I felt like I was like, OK, 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 bing. And then it was like, fuck, go shit. It's go time. Right. And and I and I, I just couldn't do it. It wasn't because it wasn't me. You know what I mean? Like, I just. And and granted, I only tried it one day, so obviously there's you got to practice anything. But I think that's where you know that's that 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 comfortability of letting technology do things 
I'm still struggling with. I mean, I know the younger generation, and I think that's why it's going to take a little while longer because I think the younger generation, Gen Xers, were a little bit set in our ways. So, you know, us adopting a new technology that fundamentally changes the way we've been selling for the past 20 years, probably not going to change us. Whereas millennials and Gen Z, they've grown up with this stuff and they like playing with these things. But now the key is they don't have the experience to have the conversation. So we can use these tools to actually give them that experience and, and shortcut that a little bit, right? Is that kind of the whole theory behind this? Yeah. And I think that, you know, there might even be an intermediate step, which is where, you know, you have people trying to coach these people, right? Like external sales coaches or internal sales coaches. Mm -hmm. And often you're flying blind. Uh, and so the idea is that maybe first you use the technology with them, uh, where they are able to maybe use that to coach someone better, uh, yes. right? And so it doesn't completely take away from the coaching piece. Yeah. Uh, but then as they start coaching people and they see that there are patterns to it, uh, that's kind of where they can have the AI take over, right? So if I see myself repeating to seven out of 10 sales reps that, hey, your talk to listen ratio is really horrible, or, you know, you didn't handle that objection correctly that's kind of where i say okay you know what i've had enough let me just go yeah. and make sure that uh, and what's going to happen is over a period of time more and more things are going to get pushed into the bucket probably the hardest thing that's going to not get pushed in is how to ask the right follow-up questions right that and i was gonna so that that's a great transition because that was where i was going to go with this next which is um and I've asked this to multiple people uh, on my podcast here is, is, do you think that you can teach genuine curiosity? Because I've been blessed and, and, I'll, and I'll give you some context here. I think I've been blessed with a, I, I've always known I'm not the, I'm not the smartest kid out there, right? I didn't go to Harvard. I, you know, I, I, I did okay in school and I'm not dumb. Uh, but my, my EQ is much higher than my IQ is. And so, and I've, and I think because of that, I've always known I'm not the smart kid, so I've always been genuinely curious to learn from other people who are smarter than me, right? And so when I have a conversation, that's why my podcast, for instance, like this is one of my favorite ways of learning because I get people like you who are smarter than I am and I, and I ask questions and I'm like, well, what about this? And tell me more about that because I'm genuinely curious about what you know so I can learn from that because I don't read books. I don't enjoy, you know, I, I fall asleep when I read. And so this is how I learn. But I've been I think I've been blessed with being genuinely curious. And I guess my question for you is with what you do and, and, and the insights that you have in this world, can you, how much of is in nature nurture, I guess, with, with when it comes to genuine curiosity? Because I think that is such an important skill for us, for great, the best sales reps I know are genuinely empathetic and curious about the clients, the, about the client they're talking to without caring at all about what they're trying to sell them. It's really hard. Um, and I think it's, you know, I, I usually don't agree with the fake it till you make it. Yeah, me neither. Uh, yeah. Thing. But I think this is one place where I've seen it actually work. Um, so I was in a coaching workshop a few years back, uh, training to be an executive coach. And uh, as part of the role plays, one of the things that they did was, you know, just, you know, like a few active, active listening exercises. And what happened during those exercises was while you knew that the other person was doing something like, you know, maybe just paraphrasing whatever you just said back at you, you actually did feel that that person had listened to what you had said, uh, right? So, which is why I kind of feel that that's one place where, you know, the fake it till you make it works because while you know what the other person is doing, there are some more deep rooted wirings in your brain, which are still responding to that. Yeah. Uh, right. So I think um, that's, that's probably the only way that you can kind of move the needle on that. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to get everybody to attend. Right. Um, but I think with enough iterations, you can probably keep getting people to a seven, maybe. So, an eight. Yeah. So there's, there's some kind of, to your point, I, I think you're right. I think there's some shortcut things you can do. Um, and, and actually I was just watching, I just rewatched, um, I had, um, Chris Voss on my podcast a while back and, uh, you know, his book never split the difference. Have you ever read that? I haven't yet. I am. Oh, you, to. yeah. You have to read that and you have to watch. I, I actually just posted, you should check it out on LinkedIn. Um, I just posted, uh, uh, it's an hour long video of him standing up there and talking about, you know, it, it like, so he, it's basically, he's telling you what he's wrote in the book. Um, 
but he's he he was teaching this this gentleman because he's a, a hostage nego he was a FBI hostage negotiator and he had this like guerrilla warfare guy who had cut off you know with just a mercenary people would cut off heads and all that and he had kidnapped a uh, um, an American and they were trying to negotiate and this guy was like ten million dollars and and as he was he had some other intermediary uh, negotiating so Chris Voss was coaching this guy to negotiate with this mercenary, like just awful, awful person. And, and it was like, I want $10 million for reparation, you know, for, for all the oppression that you've given us over the years in the Philippines and blah, 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 blah. And they thought it was $10 million for this guy. Right. So screw you. And as Chris listened, he said, this isn't, this isn't for this guy. This is for the hundred years of oppression that he feels like he's been under because of America. So all he had the other guy do, and this guy was not an expert like Chris, right? Chris is like a psychology expert and everything. All he had him do, active listening technique, was to rephrase that guy's stance and go deep on all the negative stuff. So on the next phone call, he was like, so you're not really mad about this. He's like, what I, what I hear from you is that you're mad about you know, the hundred years of oppression, how the American government has supported this uh, regime that has kept you down and how it's da 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 And he, and he went like really like horrible, ugly, like, yes, this is, this is how you're feeling because this is what we've done to you. Is that what I'm hearing from you? And he said that there was this really fascinating because he talks about what, when you rephrase to somebody, what you want them to say is that's right versus you're right. If they say you're right, that's them pushing you off. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But if they say that's right, then you got them. And so he said this, this, like this horrible, horrible human being after that guy rephrased his situation. And that, and that took no technique. It was just like, like, this is what this is what you told me. Like, you, you, this is why you said you were pissed off. Right. And the guy, there was a pause on the phone. And he said, that's right. And he said it went from a $10 million bounty down to zero. They never talked to t- about $10 million anymore. And then a month or two later, it, it diffused the entire situation and let and the hostage let go. And it was even interesting. He said, uh, he said afterwards, the, the, the mercenary guy called the negotiator that Chris Voss was, and he said, have they promoted you yet? And the guy was like, excuse me? He's like, I don't know what you did or how you did it, but... That conversation saved that man's life. He's like, I was going to kill him. Um, but your conversation with me and understanding and being empathetic with me got me to stop thinking that way. So is it, can we get somebody? I mean, I guess that is... Talk to me about the tools that we have right now. Because I think that's a, that's a training thing. I can tell you, hey, Shruti, take some notes uh, and make sure that you know before you move on to the next step, uh, just rephrase what I just said there. It, is that a training thing? Is that a just-in-time thing? Is that a learned thing? Like, what is that shortcut right there? Because I think that's a, a great shortcut. And before I answer that, I have a yeah. follow-up question, which yeah. is, if, you know, that mercenary had also been trained in negotiation tactics, or if yeah. that mercenary also knew about, you know, the whole active listening thing, would that person have reacted differently? Uh, according to Chris, No. According to Chris, even if you know that what's going on right now, people, empathy is, is the key to almost anything, right? Is like, if you can show that you understand someone's situation better than, almost better than they do in some ways, then they will, um, they will look at you in a completely different light, even though that they might know you're using a technique on them, right? Um, so according to him and according to, you know, and he's a master psychologist that, he uh, like, nope, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's human. Cause he said like, he's like the, um, what he, he made an interesting point. He said, negotiators all around the world, all of them use the exact same technique. So if you're in Japan and, and you're in uh, South America, like if you're taught the same techniques, because you know what the n- common denominator is between all of the different negotiators and all the different regions is, well, we're human and there's limitations of being a human. There's certain things that just are ingrained in us of how we react to things, what regardless of what culture you're from. You know, a smile is a smile in any culture, right? 
because uh, we're humans. And so that's what he was saying is like there's there's limit there's actually limitations of being a human because of how we react to things, no matter what how bad you are, how good you are, what language you speak. And I think that's exactly why if you started out with trading somebody on, you know, just paraphrase every time you listen or mm -hmm. just pause for three seconds before you answer an objection, you're probably still going to get very good results, even though that person might not necessarily have internalized everything, yeah. right? But to your question on when is the right time to tell them some of these things, um, I think it depends on two things, all right? And I don't, and I won't say that I have the perfect answer yet. It's still yeah. something that's, that's probably in the works, but one is, I think before and during the training session, what you need to do is you need to introduce the complex ideas uh, and you need to get them, get their buy-in into saying that this actually works, mm -hmm. uh, right? Uh, and so that's kind of where the training plays a part, which is if you tell them the story of, hey, you know what, you could actually get a hostage uh, to change their mind if with enough empathy, uh, sorry, the mercenary to change their yeah. mind, then you are kind of at least selling to them that this needs to happen. All uh, right. And then what you do just before or during or just after the conversation is a quick reminder of saying, hey, I know you wanted to do this. All uh, right. It's it's a bit like how uh, when people try to change habits, what's been shown to be effective is to put an anchor in your day and then say, you know what, I will go and exercise after I brush my teeth. Uh, All right. right. Yeah. Similarly, if you were able to create a strong correlation between a situation and uh, you know, an action that you want someone to take, that's probably the best way for them to change something that's become a very innate behavior and habit. Uh, and I think the toughest part is, uh, you know, when you're trying to change something in a stress situation, it's the hardest, right? Yeah. Think about you trying to eat healthy when you're really hungry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, that's actually, you bring that up. Yes, yesterday I was like, shit, I gotta go. I, I only had like 10 minutes for lunch and, and there's a Wendy's right by my house and I really wish there wasn't because I was like, screw it, I'm just going to Wendy's. And I was like, Ugh. and every time I do that, I'm like, oh, boo, there goes another, you know, five days at the gym for me to get work that off. Right. <laughs> Cause in that it's in that moment, like I, I could use, I could maybe go into the fridge and make something good, but it would take me too much time. So fuck it. I'm just going to have a burger. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's exactly the same thing with the salesperson when they're on the call because they're in a high stress situation. Yeah. Uh, right. So it's that much harder for them to necessarily do the right thing unless they are being supported. Because we revert back to what we know, right? I mean, in those high, like my experiences in, in high stress situations, nine times out of 10, you revert back to what you're comfortable with, what you know, as opposed to trying something new or being, you know, open to like, you know, just, you know, not knowing, you know, what the, what the situation is, right? And this actually came to me when, you know, last year we were part of the Y Combinator program and I was presenting during demo day and, you know, it's, it's, like you present to a thousand odd investors. It's a very standard uh, two minute pitch that you go out there and do. Um, and the thing about that pitch is, uh, you know, while it seems like, you know, it needs to be perfect and it's so hard to do that and, you know, the stage fright, it's actually so much easier than getting on a sales call because <laughs> nobody is going to stop you and ask you a question. Right? <laughs> you go right. up there with your prepared script, you have yeah. it pat down, you go in, you have your intonations, you have your emotions, everything's perfect. Yeah, yeah. But you get into a call and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. No, it's, I, I think that's, so one more question I have, I, 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 cause I could, I could talk to you for days about this stuff cause I'm fascinated with it. Um, but where, where do you fall with, um, scripts versus structure versus free form in the sense that, you know, a, a sales rep, you know, a lot of companies try to control the message. So they're, they literally map out, say this. And if the client says this, then say that if the client says this then say that, Right. And it turns reps into robots. Um, that said, you know, early in your career, you don't know what you don't know. So maybe those are helpful. So where do you fall on the line of scripts versus structure versus just, hey, let them, you know, give them some ideas and let them run? How do you prepare for these podcasts? Is it a <laughs> script or a structure? <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's a good question. I mean, I think that um, like let let's let's start with the kid who just got a, like just got out of school, just started the company. Um, you know, has been given a list of a thousand accounts in their territory that they have to make cold calls into, and they they're calling into a specific persona, and they have a 
not a overly complex product, but uh, a product that is, you know, and, and really all their job is to get a meeting, right? So that scenario where I'm just coming out of school, I don't know a ton about the business and I don't, I, I usually am not going to sit there and do a shitload of research before I make a phone call because I got to make my 50 dials a day. So, so where do you think the, the evolution of that script or is that, is, is a script helpful uh, to start with? And then how should, and then if so, how should it evolve? It's interesting. I just finished a training with the two new SDRs that I've hired and we were doing role plays. Yeah. And I started out with, you know, not giving them a script or a structure. Uh, oh. I just gave them a situation. Uh, and, you know, one of them is experienced, one of them is not. And uh, what I realized was that, you know, you needed to have a structure. So we, you know, then put a structure in place after the first run. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, uh, what I realized was that one person was still, uh, you know, struggling with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so what I realized was that we needed to go in and put some very well-defined scripts, uh, right? Maybe for certain parts of the conversation yeah. uh, where you're like, you know, this is what the company does. or This is how you introduce the company or yeah. this is how you initiate the conversation. Um, and then the idea is that you don't script out everything. Uh, but for some of them, you still allow them to, in some sense, use their intuition to say, this is the reason I'm asking this question is to find out this information. And I can ask this in three different ways. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that, like you said, the answer is dependent on the experience level of the person um, and maybe their comfort with, uh, you know, just talking to people as well. Yeah. Um, and maybe early on, it's again, starts with the same thing, which is you are on the side of being more cautious. Uh, You put a script in there and then over a period of time, you don't monitor them on following the exact script, but you see whether you're still getting the same outcomes. And then you relax that uh, and you move to a situation where it can actually be almost completely free form as long as you have an end goal defined. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's kind of that journey that I look at. I used to like just roll my eyes at scripts, and I just remember when I was brand new in sales, reading scripts, and how gross I felt reading those scripts. But there, it's important to 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 at least understand the talk track of that, and then very soon thereafter, once you get to know it, then you can make it your own, right? I, you know, I'll use Morgan as an example. Like when he first started training for me. I'm like, I want to see you deliver the presentation exactly the way I deliver this presentation, slide by slide, story by story, because I have to quote unquote certify you that you can stand up in front of a crowd and you know the timing, you know that, you know, you know the flow here. But I told him, I go, look, if I come back and audit one of your classes two to three months later and you're still, you're still telling my stories, the exact same talk track and that type of thing, and you haven't made it your own, I'm going to be very disappointed in you, right? So it's like, I think we there is a room for script that leads to structure that leads to freeform. So it's kind of like that whole you know unconsciously competent, uh, unconsciously incompetent, right? Where you don't know what you don't know, so you need a script, and then you become consciously incompetent, and you're like, okay, I know what I don't know, so I I, I still need the script. Then you're consciously competent. You're like, all right, I I kind of got this, so the structure's there, and then unconsciously competent, where you just do it. But if you look at those unconsciously competent people, I almost guarantee you could you could reverse engineer their structure. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and does your tool so like I, if if you were to put, would you say, or and and just in your experience with the with the solution that you have uh, with Wingman, if you put that like for instance, twenty me, I've been selling for twenty four years, right? I have a flow. I know exactly how to take a conversation. Would you be able to kind of dissect my calls and say, yep? Look at and, and use that as almost like a best practice to say, hey, look, everybody, see how John intro that, see how John asked that question, see how he did that. And there's a structure to almost every quote unquote artist you see out there. Was that is that a fair assessment? Um, so that's not something that we are trying to do right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. What we're trying to do right now is more to understand if John was, you know, interacting with people uh, for this purpose what are some of the things that he needs to be able to talk about, uh, right? Like, so what are the questions that people might ask you or what are the common topics, uh, right? But not so much to, and and so use that to say, hey, okay, so these are some of the things that I need to prepare the rest of the team on, uh, right? Maybe that's what Morgan needs to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the idea is, you could go down two parts. You could say, hey, let's see how can we 
copy John the best. Yeah. Or we could say, okay, can we abstract out and see what is it that others can, you know, take from that structure, but make their own, yeah. uh, right? Now, the tool doesn't do the last part of it today, mm. uh, right? So what it does is it does the first two things, which is it's able to understand what are the common th themes that are occurring, what are the things that people are talking to John about. Um, and then it can still show you how does John handle those situations, but it still needs a human being to go and say, hey, you know, I want to copy this exactly, or should I just abstract it out? Yeah, I got you. I got you. Cool. So, because I think that's a, you know, everybody always talks about like, what does great look like? Right. And, and, and I think that's something that a lot of these tools can do to a certain degree. It's like, hey, let's extract, like, look at, let's look at the close ratios of the best reps and those type of things and say, okay, what are they doing? How are they answering these questions? How are they guiding that conversation that we can all learn from? And again, provide some structure to say, okay, look, talk to listen ratio. This is what happens when they object to you. Instead of answering the objection, they ask a question, you know, those type of things, which are all extremely valuable for other people to learn from, right? Yeah. Love it. Cool. Well, like I said, I, I think we could, I, I'm, I'm, I've been fascinated with this topic of just-in-time learning and, and artificial intelligence coaching for a long time. Um, I, I was probably about, I'd say three years ahead of my eagerness of, of where this, uh, this industry I thought was going to be. Um, and it, and it, but it sounds like that we're, we're kind of back on real, uh, you know, tools now like wingman that, that, that are, have that opportunity to genuinely coach in a real time environment, uh, which is really encouraging to me. So I'm, I'm thank you for the time here. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, is there, what, what can, um, just to finish things up, where can people learn more about, uh, what you're doing and, and wingman and all that other stuff to understand, uh, how they can leverage some of this stuff or just, just stay on top of what's happening right now with what you're doing. Sure. Um, so our website is trywingman.com. Um, and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can, anybody can reach out to me there. My name is Shruti Kapoor. Um, and yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you, John. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely an exciting time for the space and we'll see how it pans out. Um, and I hope it won't go down the path of augmented reality and take a much longer time to come to reality. <laughs> Yeah, it's I, I, that's another one like like augmented reality. I was again freaking out. I saw uh, what is it was the movie Ready Player One. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. So you should see Ready Player One because again, that was, I was convinced that holy shit, we're gonna ruin this planet, and then we're all just gonna live in our basements with uh, with headphone, you know, with headsets on, and be artificial intelligence or be like virtual reality world, right? Because there's a, there's actually a, a quick story before we get off. There's a place here in Woburn, uh, my hometown, Woburn, Massachusetts, that has the largest uh, inside augmented reality, uh, virtual reality gaming room. And what it is, is this huge, wow. it's this huge warehouse, huge warehouse. It's all gridded out. You go in there with 80 of your friends and you put these headsets on with a backpack and they give you this gun. And all of a sudden when they turn this game on, like you are in a spaceship or you are in a zombie world and, and I can look at you and I can look and, and you look badass and all this other stuff. And then they talk you through it and then they like get you through to this point and they're, they're like, all right, we don't know what's about to happen when this door opens, just be ready. And this door opens and zombies or aliens come screaming at you. And when I tell you it is like, there's no way that you can't freak out when that happens because it is so real that it's just like whole. I mean, you walk out, like, ah, you're shooting everything and you're screaming and yelling and you're like, you have to, you have to run down uh, ramps. And even though, you know, even though, you know, you're on a flat surface, you're in a warehouse on a flat surface that says, okay, run down this ramp and run up to the next side. And you're like, logically, that I know that's, but, but you, you literally, you, you feel like you're running down. Like it's, it's so crazy. Uh, but once again, I think we're, we're, we're pretty far away from us being in a fully augmented reality world at this point, but it's coming, it's coming. And I, and, and I think so is this just in time. I think it's just in time learning is coming a lot. It's coming faster, thankfully, uh, <laughs> than that. So, uh, cause I don't want to be completely in a, immersed in a virtual reality world just yet. I, I still like this one. <laughs> It's ironic because I just got off a game of Counter-Strike. Ah, nice. <laughs> there you go. Very cool. Well, again, Shruti, uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, it's S-H-R-U-T-I Kapoor, K-A-P-O-O-R, and it's trywingman.com. So go check them out. They're doing some really cool shit. Uh, and uh, Shruti, again, thank you so much for the conversation. I had a great time. Thanks, John. 
No problem. Just like I say all the time, everybody, no matter what happens today, if you had a bad day, go make somebody happy. Go make somebody smile, because even if you had a really bad day, if you can make somebody smile, you know you had a great one. So make it happen, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you all very much.